0: Thank you, everyone, for your participation in the worship service so far. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for helping us draw our focus in less as we come around the Lord's table. You know, this morning I get an opportunity. I love when I have these chances to speak uh, God's word to you. And uh, I get the opportunity for the next two weeks to share the message. Mikey and his family are on vacation. They'll be back next Sunday. They're not going to miss VBS. But I said, you know what, I don't want you to have to work on a sermon while you're on vacation at the beach. That's not vacation if you're working. So I'm going to get the chance for two weeks to talk to you from God's word and the life of Peter. And so I've called this sermon series, this two-parter, What's Next? See, many times in life we come to a crossroads. We come to that fork in the road where we can no longer keep heading in the direction that we're in. And we have to make a decision. Sometimes that comes... At the end of a job, maybe that comes in a family situation. But a lot of times what happens is when we fail. We have to make a decision on what we're going to do next to respond. And these decisions that we make, they can be pivotal to our faith. And so it's important that as we come to those forks in the road, those crossroads, that we make the right decisions in following Christ. And so we're going to look at the life of Peter this morning. And we're going to answer the question in today's message, what do you do when you fail? Now, just looking up on the screen, how many of us, I want to see a show of hands this morning, how many of us have ever received an F on a paper in school? Now, keep those hands up. Now, how many of us have ever failed at trying something new? Maybe you were trying to bake something for the first time and it didn't quite turn out. Maybe you were trying to paint something for the first time and it ended up a totally different color than you expected. How many of us failed the first time we tried parallel parking? There we go. I still struggle with that. How many of us have ever failed at doing the right thing? Keep those hands up. I want to see them. Hands up. How many of us have ever failed to do the right thing when we knew we should? How many of us have ever failed at what we said? How many of us have ever failed in a relationship? How many of us have ever lost a game before? Anybody? I think everybody's hand should be up there. Now, I want you to look around see all these hands that are up. Look at a bunch of failures that are here this morning. Hey, I've got two hands up and I've got two feet, too, because I'm right with you. I'm a failure, too. And you know what's important is that we see that this morning because this church is not full of perfect people. Amen. We all have struggles. We've all messed up. We've all failed in our walk with Christ. And you know what? That's okay if you're here this morning and that's what you're feeling. Because the church is a safe place for that. It's okay if you're not okay this morning. In fact, that's where God wants you to be so you can make that decision at that fork in the road to follow him. So what do we do, though, when we fail? Nobody likes to fail. I know I don't. I'm I, get, I struggle with it. I mean, I'm a perfectionist. If I mess up at something, I beat myself up over it. But what do we do? How do you respond? Do you look at your failure in life as a dead end or is it simply a detour? Maybe you've heard this famous quote from Thomas Edison. He said, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that don't work. And that's the attitude we need to have as followers of Christ. Because we're going to fail. We're going to fall short, but we need to not let our failure be the end of our story. We need to keep moving forward. We need to keep pursuing Christ in faith. And so today we're going to look at the life of Peter and realize that we're not defined by our failures, but how we respond to them. I want you to remember this truth this morning. It's not what happens, but how you respond. I'm going to say it again. It's not what happens, but how you respond. Too many times we get stuck. We get to that crossroads and we don't want to make a decision. But that's not an option. We have to learn from our failures and we have to make the right choice. And you know what? I love Peter. I love reading the stories of Peter because he's such a real person. Peter is the disciple that I most identify with because he would be on fire for Christ one minute and then he would be sticking his foot in his mouth the next. He would be doing awesome things for the Lord and then he would be tripping over himself and falling flat on his face. He's a real person. And you know what? That's what the church is full of, real people. Today we're going to look at the worst day that Peter ever had. We're going to look at Peter's worst failures. We're going to look at how he responded to them. And then we're going to apply that to us and see how we can respond when we fail. But before we get too far into the story, I want to set things up for you. Because before Peter failed, there was already something in place, an attitude that Peter had that led him to this failure. If you got your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Luke, chapter 22. We'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Luke, chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. This is where Jesus predicts what Peter is going to do. This is the upper room, the night that Jesus is betrayed. This is during the Last Supper when he establishes communion. Peter is there with Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. But Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm even ready to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Peter was so sure of himself. He was there with Jesus. He was there at the height of the ministry. This is Passover. This is the Lord's Supper. It's been coming to a boil. You could feel that there was something going on. There was a buzz around Jesus. The miracles were getting more powerful. He just raised John. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. You could tell that something was about to happen. It was the boiling point. And Peter's ready. He says, I will go with you to prison and I will even die with you. He felt very sure of himself. But Jesus knew the real state of his heart. Jesus knew that Peter wasn't ready and said, in fact, before the rooster even crows this morning, you're going to deny that you know me three times. Peter says, no, no, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm ready to go. But he was far from it. Peter didn't realize that at the time. But Jesus even says, says you're going to fail, but afterward, then you'll be ready. When you've repented, when you've returned to me, then you'll be ready. But Peter didn't see it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful that you do not fall. And so the attitude that Peter had was one of self-assurance. And I'm here to tell you this morning that before you even cause The failure to happen, being too sure of yourself, will cause you to fail. Feeling too confident in your own abilities, thinking that that would never happen to me. I would never put myself in that kind of a situation. I would never let my guard down that much. I would never be compromised the way they were. That would never happen. You start to think you're too good. You start to think that there's nothing that can faze you. And you know what? When that happens, you're sure to fail. What's the old phrase? Pride comes before a fall. And Peter was proud. But why shouldn't he be? Peter was there with Jesus. He was in his inner circle. He felt strengthened in his faith, but he didn't realize of the test that was about to come. And so the story continues that After the supper, they went into the garden to pray. And then the mob came to arrest Jesus. And Peter and the other disciples, they scattered. But unlike the others, Peter and John actually followed close behind. Not too close to be caught. But they followed Jesus into the courtyard. And they witnessed this mockery of a trial that Jesus underwent. And it's out in that courtyard... When Peter is tested, when he is far from Jesus, and his failure occurs. Pick up Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 74. Peter denies Jesus. Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those that were with Jesus the Galilean, weren't you? But Peter denied it in front of everyone. And said, "I don't know what you're talking about." So this first denial, you know, it's not that severe. I mean, it's still a denial, but Peter's kind of, yeah, kind of trying to deflect. "You're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about." It's not an outright denial, but it's trying to kind of distract and push away from the question at hand. But the matter quickly escalates. Verse 71, later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed Peter and said to those standing around him, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it. This time he took an oath and he said, I don't even know the man. So now things are getting serious. Peter is promising, no, 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 you are wrong. I don't even know him. But why would Peter do that? What is going through his head at this point? You know, I think that Peter is dealing with what we call the flight or fight instinct. You know, in the garden, when the mob came to arrest Jesus, Peter, he was ready to fight. He pulls out that sword. He chops off that guy's ear and he's ready to stand firm and he's ready to lead the revolution with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what my kingdom's about. And Peter's whole world is shattered. So he runs away, still wanting to stay close to Jesus, but now he doesn't know what to do, and he's starting to get accused. He's witnessing what Jesus is going through, because remember, at this time, he's not only being falsely accused, but he's being beaten, spit upon, and mocked. Jesus is all alone in this. This is a scary time for the disciples. And Peter's there witnessing it and he says, no, 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 I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you're wrong. I don't know him. But then things continue. Verse 73, a little while later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them because we can tell by your Galilean accent. But Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And you know the story. What happened next? Immediately, the rooster crowed. Have you ever been so caught up in doing something that you didn't realize what you were doing? Sometimes it happens to me when I'm driving somewhere that I always drive. I just drive and I don't even realize how I got there. Well, sometimes that's what happens to us when we get caught up in a sin, is we have to keep covering up and covering up and doing something that we don't want to do in order to protect ourselves, and we don't even realize what we're doing. You know, when I was in elementary school, especially in fifth grade, I was a little bit of a punk kid. Any teachers in here this morning? Anybody ever have to deal with a punk kid in class? And I had a bit of a smart mouth in fifth grade. And I remember one time uh, I was coming in from recess. And we had this principal in elementary school. And I don't know what it is about elementary school principals, but they were intimidating. And this one, he was like the most intimidating person I ever met. I mean, he was a giant of a man. Had to have been eight feet tall, huge, broad shoulders. He had this thick, white beard. He looked like a cross between Santa Claus and the Incredible Hulk. You can picture that. In fact, yeah, there's this picture right there. Santa Claus and the Incredible Hulk. This was my principal in elementary school. And man, I was scared of him. Well, one day I'm heading in from recess and my teacher says something to me and I don't remember what she said and I don't remember what I said exactly, but I know I smarted off to her. I gave her some lip. But what I didn't realize was my principal, Mr. Wheeler, he was standing right there. And so, this 10 foot tall Goliath of a man comes up to me, grabs me by the shoulders, lifts me 30 feet in the air, puts me over against the wall, and says, with his deep, most intimidating Darth Vader voice, What did you say? I froze. I didn't know what I'd said at that point. I couldn't say anything. I was trembling. So he says again, What did you say? I couldn't tell you what my name was at that point. I mean, I was just terrified. I couldn't remember anything. So the only thing I could, I could spit out was, uh, 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 didn't say anything. That was the wrong thing to say. Because this 30 foot tall King Kong of a man in a business suit grabs me by the shoulders and he starts shaking me. And he says, What did you say? I said, I swear I didn't say anything. Well, Mr. Wheeler, Let's me go. He gives me that look. He knows I'm lying, but he lets me go back into the classroom. And the funny thing was, he knew it, but I didn't. It wasn't until a few minutes later, when I got you know kind of down from the adrenaline and the situation calmed down, that I realized, well, wait a minute. I just lied to his face. I really did say something. I smarted off to my teacher. I I deserved, maybe not to be lifted 30 feet in the air, but I deserved to be punished for it. But at the time, I didn't realize it. I was so caught up in protecting myself. I was so caught up in covering up what I had done wrong... That I had to keep lying. It became a natural instinct to me. My sinful nature came out. And that's what sin does to us. When we get caught up in sin, we forget that we're even sinning. We get so lost in trying to cover it up and to protect ourselves and to keep it a secret and to hide it from other people and to make sure that nobody else knows what we're really doing or what we're really like that we lose our minds. And so when we're faced with a failure, you really have two options. Option number one is to cover it up. Option number two is to own up. Option one, cover up. Option two, own up. At this point, Peter is all in cover up mode. He doesn't want anybody to find out who he is. He doesn't want anybody to know that he was with Jesus. And he says that he swears, but don't miss this. It's not like Peter's just dropping four letter words right here. Now, the word that's used here for swear literally means cursed to hell. So what Peter says here, he says, if I'm lying, may my soul be cursed to hell. He knows he's lying. He just spent the last three and a half years with Jesus, but he got so caught up in his sin and covering up his failure that he was ready to forfeit his own soul to protect himself. Folks, we can't do that. We can't be so proud. We can't be so fearful. That we let our sins separate us from Christ like that. At this point, Peter is ready to be eternally separated. In order to protect him from the little bit of grief that he might have suffered in this world. Folks, we have to own it. When we fail, the best way to deal with it is just to own up to it. When we fail in our relationship with Christ, when we sin because we all sin. The best thing to do is to confess it. The best thing we do when we have that broken relationship is to go and meet that person eye to eye, face to face, and deal with it. Don't keep pushing it under the rug. Don't keep trying to cover it up. Own up to your failures. At this point, Peter is trying his best to cover it up. But then his life changes forever. The rooster crows. And Luke gives us a little bit of insight as to what happened exactly at that moment. Turn back over to Luke chapter 22. It'll be up on the screen. Luke chapter 22, verse 61 says, At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The moment that Peter denied him the third time, the moment that the rooster crowed, they're close enough in proximity in that courtroom or that courtyard that Jesus can turn and look eye to eye at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. How devastating. What would that have done? How heartbreaking to not only... Be to the point of sinning and covering it up that you're ready to consign your soul to hell. But at the very moment you do so, to look your Savior eye to eye. Your Lord. Your God. What must that have done to Peter? And what did that look convey? Now we have no way of knowing exactly what went through Peter's mind at that time. But we can look at how he responded, and obviously it broke his heart. He was cut to the heart. He was convicted that he runs out of the courtyard and he weeps bitterly. But what did that look tell him? What do you see in the eyes of Jesus in this passage? Because I think what we interpret from this when we read it says a lot about how we view our relationship with God. So what do you see in the eyes of Jesus here? Do you see judgment? Certainly, Peter had messed up. I mean, he had sinned blatantly three times, even to the point where he said, I'm deserving of hell. Was Jesus looking at him, condemning him, saying, You failed. You did the very thing you said you weren't going to do, Peter. You're no longer worthy of me, you're no longer part of my kingdom. You deserve everything you're going to get. Is that what Jesus is saying here? You know, I think a lot of how we view God in our lives comes from our upbringing. Did you grow up in church? Did you not grow up in church? Did you have a very strict and authoritative household? Were you scared of adults? Did you grow up in a household where you were afraid to mess up because you knew how angry your mom or dad was going to get? Were you afraid that if you did something wrong or you said something wrong that you were going to get beat or punished or you were somehow not going to measure up to them? If that's what we experience as a child, a lot of times that's what we project onto God. But what's interesting when you read the New Testament is we have these English words like looked at, but there's so many other words in the Greek that used to describe those terms. We just don't have That many words for it. And this word is a Greek word called emblepo. And when you translate it, it doesn't mean judgment. So when Peter looked at the eyes of Jesus, he didn't see condemnation. He didn't see judgment. He didn't see hatred or he didn't see anger. So what do you see when you see the eyes of Jesus? Do you see disappointment? Maybe you grew up in a household where you never measured up. Maybe you were the younger sibling and you never measured up to your older sibling. Maybe you had such high expectations put upon you in your life that you just, you were always feeling like a failure. That nothing you ever did was right. Maybe you turned into a perfectionist because you were so afraid of any mess up at all that you were going to let somebody down. Is that what Peter's feeling? Is Peter looking at the eyes of Jesus and feeling shame and guilt because Jesus is disappointed in him? No, that's not what that word means either. The word doesn't mean disappointed. So what do you see in the eyes of Jesus? Do you see compassion? What's interesting about that word, that Greek word that's used there, it means to look intently upon. It can also be translated gaze or search thoroughly. This word is the same word that's used the very first time that Peter and Jesus meet. It's in John chapter 1. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, When Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, Andrew, Simon's brother, Jesus, looking intently at Simon, that's the same word, looking intently, is translated, Jesus said, "Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter, which we translate rock." So Jesus, the very first day that he met Peter, he looked him over, he saw his heart, he saw his faith, he saw his passion, and he said, "I'm calling you to something. You're going to be one of my disciples. And you're not just going to be any disciple, you're going to be the rock." I'm giving you a new name. I'm giving you a new purpose. You're going to be one of mine from now on. That look that Jesus gave Peter the very first day they met, don't miss this, is the same look Jesus gives Peter in the courtyard. When Peter is at his lowest, when he has failed miserably, he has done everything he said he would never do. Jesus turns and looks at him. Not with judgment, not with disappointment, but with that same searching, intent look that he gave them the very first day they met. Man. I get chills just thinking about that. And so I want you to know this truth this morning. Your failures... Do not change the way Jesus looks at you. Star that, highlight that, put that on your your refrigerator. Your failures do not change the way Jesus looks at you. How many of us have said, well, I just, I've messed up too much. I can't go back. I can't return to where I was. I'm ashamed to be here this morning. I'm ashamed to be in church because if you all knew what was going on in my head, If you all knew what was going on in my life, you wouldn't want me here. Friends, Jesus wants you here. He looks at you the exact same way he did when he first called you. His eyes still have the same love and compassion and hope that they did on your best day and on your worst. Don't miss that. Isn't that good news? Jesus' look is so pure, compassionate, and loving that Peter immediately comes to his senses. He realizes what he's done. He's convicted. This is the point where he owns it. Remember, he was trying to cover it up for so long. He owns it. He runs out and he weeps bitterly. Peter needed to be confronted with his sin. He needed to own up to it. He needed to quit trying to hide it. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you've got a sin in your life and a failure that you've been trying to cover up for so long. Own it this morning. Quit trying to hide it. Quit carrying that burden with you. Realize the separation that it's causing between you and God and turn to him. Look in Christ's eyes and receive that forgiveness. When was the last time you looked intently in the eyes of Jesus? When's the last time you weren't just playing church? When's the last time you let Jesus search your heart? Is there something you need to do to respond this morning? Is there sin in your life that needs repentance? Because friends, I'll tell you, you're not fooling Jesus. You could feel other people... But not Christ. In fact, I'll prove it to you. Go back to Luke chapter 22, verse 31. When Jesus predicts Peter's denial, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. That's important. Jesus prayed for Simon that your faith would not fail. And this part's important. So when you have repented and turned to me again, Strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, Peter, you think you're strong, but you're about to go through a failure. But once you go through it, repent. Turn back to me because I'm not done with you. I still have a job for you, and that's to go and strengthen your brothers. Remember, only Peter and John followed. The rest of them, they all ran away. Peter was getting prepared for the ministry that he had ahead. In just a few short weeks, Peter is going to be preaching the very first gospel sermon. He's going to be seeing the Holy Spirit descend and the church get established. But in order for Peter to make it to Pentecost, he had to go through the courtyard. He had to go through his time of failure. And next week, we're going to look at his time of restoration. Because Jesus knew he needed to go through it, and he knew he still had a job to do. He knew he was going to fail, but he told him, Repent. Repent. Turn away from your failure and return to me, Simon Peter. Then you'll be ready. So I ask you this morning Have you failed? Are you running from something today? Are you covering up something that you need to own up to? Isn't that a burden? Isn't that difficult to be putting on that happy face and to act like everything's okay when it's not? Don't do it. Own it. Realize the attitudes that lead you there, the self-sufficient, the pride, all those things that cause us to fail. And own it. Confess it. Repent, return to the Lord, be healed and restored, and be ready for that mission. Next week, we're going to look at when Jesus met Peter on the seashore. And how he restored him and gave him a purpose for the days and weeks ahead. God's got a purpose for you this morning. He doesn't want you to keep carrying that failure with you. If you've got sin that needs to be repented of, if you've got something to confess... Now's the time to do it. We're going to offer a time of invitation this morning. If you have a decision to make for the Lord, if you're in need of prayer this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.